you are now about to witness the awesome crushing might of wait for it the Eugene S. Robinson Show Stomper V8. I, I, can't, I can't do it without the other hand. Ready? Yeah! No more knuckle up, my friends, but uh, something to get the quickens the pulse, get some blood going. V8, like the engine. Like the thing that, oh my God, I should have had one. This is the V8 Eugene Robinson Show Stopper. I'm your host, Eugene S. Robinson. I'm going to kill you, Eugene S. Robinson. But not today. Uh, we got the show. It's about Stephen Hawking, you know, back in our play in regards to life after death. It's about, well, I'm going to have to give a Nazi primer. Just to explain some stuff to those of you who's new and who have deigned it necessary to get beyond the Oscars and the Academy Award who are and actually spend a few minutes with us. And number three, yeah, you get it. It's Jeremiah about the paltry state of MMA in the midst, in the midst of, of actually what's not a completely dull and dreary season. Two steps forward, one step back. Times arrow style. But until then, let's just listen to the plangent tunes of stigmata, calling of the just. Bob Riley singing the words that make all the difference in the world. Hold on. Could not see so clear. I'm taking a real good look at your face. So being paid back in full, always nothing. All right, all right, let's stop the music. All right, my friends, my friends, this is a show that apparently seemingly never ends. We can go back to that. I wanna show you something, because I just got an order. In case you haven't figured it out at this point in time, we put this out. That's why I'm constantly shilling it, and that's why I've been using it for, I think since 2007 as the intro music. Stigma, I can't, can you see it? Stigmata, Calling of the Just. And the song is called Intro All of Nothing. You should get it. The rest of the CD, actually, it's, is it backwards for you? I can't, I can't help that. Um, but uh, let's, let's launch into the show because uh, uh, I want to reward your efforts for having pulled your way, yourself away from the cavalcade of, of wealth in at Los Angeles that's happening now by way of the Academy Awards. We're gonna do uh, immediately after uh, the show Stomper, uh, there's gonna be You Kill Me. Well, not immediately, but within minutes, like 10 minutes after the show ends, there's gonna be You Kill Me, which is uh, 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 the Kasha and Eugene uh, film review for Reprobates, and the film that's on tap will be Phantom Thread, and this will happen regardless of whether it wins or doesn't win. And uh, it won't be as long of a show as last week because 
uh, well, I'm not going to tip my hand. In any case, uh, this show, V8, um, has has deep shit to delve into. If you if you're interested in just the MMA shit, go away and come back in about 40 minutes, and then we'll probably be on the MMA stuff. Earlier than that, we're going to be touching on some of the stuff about continued life after death. If it was like I think it was V6 or V5, somebody will correct me. I'm sure we started talking about it before, and uh, it came to some stunning conclusions, which in a really weird, eerie twist were backed up by Stephen Hawking. Our play was backed up by Stephen Hawking this week, but we'll talk about that for a bit. But first, I want to get a little business out of the way outside of the stigmata thing. And the reason I have it is because Revelation Records down in Huntington Beach, California, who's the only seller of, of note of this CD, has actually ordered a bunch more, which means you all have actually been buying it. So I got to thank you for that. Revelation Records, Huntington Beach, California. But um, I, I have an announcement to make. And of course, those of you who... Uh, uh, have or follow me at at Eugene S. Robinson. Uh, know this. Those of you who have managed to get into the Facebook know this. And those of you who follow me on Instagram at Mr. Sleep3. However, if you don't have anything in your Instagram folder and you send me an invite, I don't trust you. I don't trust you. I think you're a spy. You're a spy. You have to have photos. I look at your photos, I let you in. Uh, but you'll know that I am officially, as of today, a fucking grandfather. How do you like that? How do you like that? So uh, the EJ lessons, EJJ lessons have begun anon. I got a grandson. I tell you, in my family, that the men are born in about every half century. And the last man to be brought, born into this family was a uh, 1962, that being me. And so we have a, we have a, a princeling. I guess technically not if I'm the king. He's not a prince. Like if it's my kid's kid, I guess he is a prince no matter what. But he was born today at around 1130 in the morning. And you'll be happy to know I was at jujitsu. And I left after jujitsu because I'm a piece of shit. <laughs> and I got to the hospital and uh, got there just in time to receive the accolades and the brand new grandson of which I am well pleased. Uh, I didn't go running, which is typically what I do right after jujitsu. So, you know, I'm making sacrifices. I'm making sacrifices. So uh, uh, we, we have a, a kid that looks uh, 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 remarkably like me and the father was there. Well, he is a, uh, he's six foot three, 290 pounds. <laughs> and so we, uh, uh, and uh, uh, he is apparently is a Stanford guy. Uh, so uh, eugenics, eugenics, first and foremost in my mind, it is a happy day, hashtag the Robinson way. So uh, the kid still has no name, otherwise I'd have shared that with you. Uh, you know, my kid is, uh, she's slacking on the Mac and with that, I don't know. I, all my kids had names six months out, but whatever, different people do things differently. So also Nazi primer, you understand my obsession. Those of you who are new to this show, I don't know how many of you are, and and don't go back to Knuckle Up or some of the past shows. Well, why is this guy always talking about Nazis? Well, I got it from Dave Emery, who's an investigative journalist and a reporter, um, and May Brussel, not Mabel Brussel, M-A-E Brussel. And they do uh, investigative shows that go on forever and ever. They're like ragas, they're like tone poems. And it seems like that when they connect every, extant strand of evil, they always tie back to the most aggressive, explosive example of it 
in, in the 20th century, which is Nazi Germany. Um, there are a lot of things about Nazi Germany that normalized evil in its totality. And if you don't see strands of it playing through modern politics now, you are completely, absolutely, totally fucking wrong. Last week, we talked about Otto Skorzeny, who was a, a Nazi war hero, who, who was the one who flew a glider into the Italy to rescue Mussolini the first time. Of course, Mussolini was not rescued twice. <laughs> he was a recipient of the love of the Italian people the second time, where he was beaten with chairs and after being hung by his ankles in the orchard the second time around, where Scorzani was, of course, uh, pulled into the fold by the Mossad in order to kill uh, a German scientist who were helping Egyptians build missiles, which they did not want them to do. And so Scorzani was, uh, as described by Danzig, a wolverine in a dark brown suit, uh, but he was amoral to the extreme and would take money from the highest bidder. And of course, this was a he had one requirement, didn't want money, wanted to be removed after Eichmann was kidnapped, wanted to be removed from Simon Wiesenthal's uh, 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 list, which Simon Wiesenthal, to his credit, would refuse to remove him. But uh, the Mossad just kind of sent out false flags about him dying or not existing or moving here or there to stymie Wiesenthal's efforts because he was working for the Mossad. So, uh, but all the tendrils of it from the Nazi connections to major corporations that still exist, not whether you want even talking about Fanta was created uh, after they boyc after there was a, a blockade and they wouldn't ship Coca-Cola to Nazi Germany. So they had to create their own soda. So they created Fanta from Bayer, from Hugo Boss, who were knee-deep, knee Volkswagen, of course, Mercedes-Benz, who used to make the, uh, a range, like kind of Range Rovery tanks. To uh, uh, to all to IBM, the counting machines, all the money that Henry Ford gave to the connections to the Bush family, and Bush's George H W, George W. I mean, it, it spreads, it spreads. If you can judge judge a tree by its fruit, anytime, anytime, anytime that tree drops a piece of fruit, it's going to be fouled, and we've seen that now with the Jared Kushner thing. Oh, hey, Qatar, could you lend me like hundred and fifty million dollars because it rescued my 666 building in downtown Manhattan, which is in Manhattan, midtown Manhattan, which is sucking shit. Nah, we don't think that's a big loan. We don't think we'll do. Oh, and then there's suddenly there's suddenly a a a possibility of an armed conflict in, in Qatar. Qatar's like, okay, 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 we'll pay. You know, corporatist, corporatist evil is a, uh, evil gives it a moral framework that that that, that, I, that I don't care to give. But like a, a, a Soviet Georgian friend of mine once said, he used to live there back when it was Soviet Georgia, now it's just Georgia, said about Stalin and about the rehabilitation of Stalin's image. He goes, you got to understand, he goes, right now, his image is completely rehabilitated in Georgia. It wasn't him. It was the people around him, according to, uh, according to uh, the, con the word on the street in Georgia. No, the corporate is evil is more complete because it, it doesn't have it is not it's not premised on animus. You know what do they say? The opposite of hate, the opposite of love isn't hate. It's indifference. And it is indifferent. If whether you're talking about somebody who benignly has to reorg a, co a, a corporation by laying off people who will no longer be able to pay their rents or their kids tuitions or food um, or whether it's, you know, a corporatist vision of the future that, um you know, has people produce large amounts of Zyklon B. You got a lot of rats there, huh? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, death camps. So that's why I, I, I typically tend to, to, to weave 
we um, corporatist indifference is is the name of the game, and it's what we're inveighing against. But let's go back to let's go back to uh, the stuff that I talked about on the Life After Death show a few shows ago. That um, I'm not going to give a total refresher because we don't have all the time in the world here. Um, but I, I want to talk about. Um, remember, I said that. I can't, I can't remember what I wore on the show last week. Yet I, we know I existed last week. We know that we existed last week, right? But there's a lot of stuff we can't remember from last week. I goes, those are, those are our, our bodies and our biological somatic connection to this globe. You know, but there are other places on this globe and there are places that we go when we close our eyes and we go to sleep. And, and more importantly, right after I start talking about that stuff, from the show because I assume people don't all watch the show, even though they all should. Somebody gets it. This guy I'm talking to for at jujitsu gets an eerie look on his face, and somebody starts making fun of me. I go, "Laugh all you want." And the guy goes, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa!" Wait. Later on, he sends me this clip of a video of this five-year-old kid uh, in Scotland uh, or, or England or Ireland, way outside. I don't remember. Sorry. And uh, the kid starts talking about consistently since he was able to talk so about the age of one and a half to five talks about his barra family b-a-r-r-a -R -R -A, a small town on the coast nothing that he would have been exposed to via the internet nothing that he would have been not somebody he met at the market or a cartoon or a book that he read or a relative out of the blue his his play his my, my other house in barrow and at first they figured this was just fanciful talk the kid was just kind of being really Fanciful, and he starts describing this white house and the black and white dog, and he continues. He continues with this, and finally, his parents are like, ah, "Maybe we should take him to somebody. I mean, uh, this is this is gone beyond play and make believe." And so they call up the historian in Barrow, and the, and the historian says, "Well, I guess they call the TV people because it's a TV show." And they say, "Well, let's call a historian in Barrow." So they they actually call a historian in Barrow, and he says, "Yeah." There was a White House. It was owned by a Robertson fan. Oh, they said, oh, he remembered his last name, which was Robertson. And he said, well, there was no Robertson there, but there's a White House. Any case, they decided to take the kid and a friend to Barrow just to see. They don't tell them where they're going, just to see where they're going. And as they get closer to the town, like that scene in The Omen, the kid starts to get eerily quiet. And he goes, this is my Barrow house. And he talks about stuff around how they could see the planes land. And they say, well, there's no airport here, but apparently they, the planes used to land on the beach that was outside the White House. And then the, the historian says, no, nah, there's no proof of any. There's no family named Robertson. A couple of days go by, the historian comes, calls back, goes, oh my God, you won't believe it. There actually was a family, the family called Robertson. They lived there like in right after the war where planes did land. They had a landing strip right on the beach. Yeah, it was like 100 yards and on the meters or whatever. You know, uninterrupted. And so they had film footage of planes landing there. So they have the planes, they have the White House, they find the family, they go to find the family. And then the kid gets really weird. He doesn't want to go to see the family, doesn't want to see the family at all. It's like, ah. Uh, um, so then he meets what would, based on who he said he was, he meets who would have been his granddaughter. And she said, well, you know, we didn't have a dog. We, we Actually, we didn't have a dog, but there was a dog that used to hang around. 
and they show a picture and it's a black and white dog. The kid had described the black and white dog. He described the house, described the planes. Of course, like with a lot of paranormal stuff, you don't know where to go with this. But it was it was fairly clear that uh, that this kid had been there before, five-year-old kid. And of course, now the people with the TV show want to say, well, this system could be gamed. It could be anything. They find somebody else. They find somebody else who was his own grandfather. He, he discovered that he, he was his diaper was being changed by his father. And the kid looks up at him. This is right after the kid could talk at it, right, you know, two and a half years old. And said, so when I used to change your diaper, and he goes, what are you talking about? But it was, again, consistently remembered, consistently called upon, and consistently referenced, not like a crazy, oh, my, my play friend Bobo. No, none of that shit. Well, then they decide they have photo albums around the house, and the kid is going through the photo albums, and he goes, oh, look. And it's a high school graduation photo. He goes, here's my picture. Now, I have never met my father's father. But if there was a picture of 40 people sitting outside, we don't look in, my father's father doesn't look anything like me. If you had pictures of us next to each other, he was kind of a Noel Coward-esque, short, bald guy with a mustache, total lifelong criminal, but very debonair and snappy and shorter. I certainly at the age of five years old would not have been able to pick him out in a photograph of 50 people. This other kid did. So I, I, I'm going to, this is builds on, if you don't know, go back onto the other show. I forget which one it was, V4, V5, that talks about life after death. So what I, the claim that I, to, to see about the first part of the claim. So what I'm saying is, before, I, didn't, I wasn't sure about, the cycle rev. I wasn't sure about what, kind, but in both of these cases, these were fairly immediate cycles. If a guy was his own grandfather, a lot of people know their grandfathers. Grant, see, you see, it's a raw guy. I started out talking about being a grandfather. A lot of people know, I didn't know, I knew, I didn't, I didn't know either of my grandfathers. I didn't know my father, my, I didn't know my mother's father. He was dead before I was alive. And I was alive, but, but had not met my father's father. However, I grew up with a grandfather who was my great grandmother's third husband, who I call grandpa. Not a blood relation, again, married in. So we're talking, we're talking a fairly, a fairly tight turnaround, right? And these kids describe they, they describe being in this place that very much seems like a cosmic soup, right? The lo precisely the kind of locale that you go to when you are disembodied every night, dreaming. And then they describe sliding through a porthole, and there they are. It's like Brazil with the, not the country, the movie with the pneumatic tubes or where you know messages are being kind of sh shifted and sent all around. So I like this idea of a cosmic soup where, where once, once our change of clothes, our somatic forms, our fleshy bodies pass out of existence, we're in permanent kind of permanent dream space. Um, and until you find yourself a porthole, you know, you're kind of stuck there.
Now, I've built out from there, but I want to tie in the Stephen Hawking thing just to show you that it was not a false flag. Stephen Hawking came in and said, well, I'm going to do some kind of modeling. This just this last week. And I'm going to go, I'm going to go back to the Big Bang. And there are always unanswered questions about, well, our universe and the galaxies and outside the galaxies. And I'm just going to go back. I'm going to do time's arrow. I'm going to go back in time to where everything was a single, singular, undifferentiated whole. And he said, what was noteworthy about that? If so, if you just, just look, this is, this is, this is matter that constituted everything. What Stephen Hawking says, I'd like it to be a, a, a ball, but it's not, it's my fist. What Stephen Hawking says is, so you've taken all of the planets that are exploding, you've gone back. I mean, you know, everything used to be connected. You used to be able to walk from Germany to New York, right? There were no oceans. These things spread out over time, millions of years. But go back, 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 where you're pulling planets, cosmic dust into one whole constant knot, and then something happened. And he talks about the singularity of, of, of this thing, of going back in time, time's arrow moving backwards, and it all kind of coagulating into this one spot. He goes, that spot, in that spot, time doesn't exist because there's no space. Because everything, that everything, that shoebox of, of things that we talk about when we talk about determinism, everything is here. You have no distance, you have no space, you have no time. Mass is not even a measure that makes any sense. And then something happens and there's an explosion and all of the planets in the galaxy, all it becomes all space dust. It starts to fill, it starts to fill, it starts to fill places it hasn't been before. Places that are now mired in time. So time has not always existed. So, so we have this ball, and then things start to move out. What he's done is bring up, run the film backward to here. But what starts to happen is you start to introduce elements, you start to introduce uh, all of the dimensions. <laughs> Sorry. Not 1D, not 2D, not 1D, not 2D, not 3D, not 4D dimension of time or 5D, which they've recently discovered a fifth dimension. And not only that, they have the straw within the straw theory. Like these, these are multi dimensions. So the idea that we live in a cosmic soup, you know, is not entirely crazy to me at all. It happens in, in quasi conscious forms anyway. When you go to a movie, we are all in a darkened theater. Our consciousness is, is we're responding in very similar ways to a similar set of circumstances. So then I start to, let's play, let, let me play the Stephen Hawking's game with the life after death thing and the cosmic, the cosmic soup of conscious, consciousness. I said, well, you are either presented with a porthole or you find a porthole. What do you say, what do you say about, what do you say about people who, who are good people? I'm trying to divorce it from a moral framework. I'm going to make this bold claim, and I'm going to make the claim that the Bible and every single religious text that exists, and all the, 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 the most of them go back 2,000 years. Some, you know, the Upanishads. I'm not sure I'm mispronouncing that. Bhagavad Gita goes back like 5,000 years. They're all an attempt 
to make sense of a multi-dimensional cosmic soupage in a way that's not going to panic people. So they have demons or angels intermediaries between here and there, right? The dimensions that fill up that space. And they try to explain somewhat about places that people go when they're bad, which is down, where they go when they're good, which is up. And they all kind of have a similar framework that attempt to, under, to attempt to, in crude rudimentary terms, describe the cosmic soup of consciousness. But I'm going to make the claim that up or down, and you've heard people say this, oh, my dog, my dog, it's almost like he's human. Oh, that cat, that cat had the most soulful eyes. I, ha- I used to date this biologist, and she said, look, only animals that are social animals have personalities because they needed to distinguish themselves from each other. You take, you take animals that are not social animals, that don't live in social groupings, they don't have personalities that we would recognize as such. Reptiles, for example. Don't need them. Well, some people would argue, my sister being one that had many years for a lizard, the lizard had a personality, all right. I've, I've seen that lizard for years too, never knew it had a personality. I'm sure it had, did certain things in a stylish way that might seem unique from other lizards, but I just saw it do like this. That's it, that's all I saw. But in any case, so there's this cosmic soup. So I say, okay, you realize that somehow you, your, your, your pre-knowledge is better than your post-knowledge. In other words, you have realized that you are in a cosmic soup at this point. And it's no less fulfilling because you are bodiless. You know, what you, you know, you can get involved in intrigues in the cosmic place, or you can find your way into a porthole. Maybe you get to choose, maybe you don't get to choose. Who the fuck is calling me from Fremont? Sorry, I'm doing the show. If you choose, you don't get to choose. But your desire, also known as a will to make manifest this thing or another, I think your desire qualifies the manner in which, when they talk about the meek shall inherit the earth, this is repeated. It's not, not like Nietzsche said, just a Judeo-Christian uh, 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 conceit to extol the virtues of the weak. An expressed will to power in itself has gotta be something that, that I don't want to use a moral framework. There's got to be something that is retrograde. Wanting to be here, wanting to be here in, you know, I want to be reborn as a son of a president or it, 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 when brought to bear, makes you lesser qualified to, to circle out to get into this, this state of nirvana rising up I, I don't know i mean this is just speculative i'm not gonna spend too long on a speculative thing i'm just gonna i'm, I'm guessing a humble a humble approach a humble uh, a humble approach to uh might get you an interesting placement but i've talked to people about this and they say that when you get to be about five or six typically when kids get to school they forget about this stuff because their minds get occupied with the present not the pre-life, not the post, but the present. But I've talked to people who say they had really aggressive memories of being low to the ground and moving quite quickly. 
These were outside of language. So the likelihood that our consciousness could, could fit into the bodies of, of animals, I mean, thermal laws of thermodynamics and that energy is neither created nor destroyed. It's not crazy, especially now that they just discovered a fifth dimension, especially now that, that Stephen Hawking has gone back to pre-time. Pre we don't know what the fuck was going on pre-time or what caused an ex explosion that created time. You know, I, I like this idea that people cotton on to religion. Religion is an effort to make sense of the intimations that we have about stuff that we can't quite qualify or quantify. But if you, and increasingly I've come to believe this, like I believe the sun will come up tomorrow and the sun, the sun will set tonight, and that's that the fleshy sleeve it's like a suit of clothing and you hang it up at night and you go on somewhere else. The quality of your consciousness is what affects it. That's why when I watch people eat shit food and, and destroy, destroy the fleshy suit, man, it's just like a suit of clothing. I don't clean it. I get it dirty, I get torn, I get raggedy. And then about 95 years later, it just falls apart and, and that ceases existing. But whatever was in inside of that suit is back in the in the, in the soup. You know, and and, and and you you have touchstones of people who ha who have had various visions of various visions of how this plays out, like Dante and John Charty's uh, from Princeton. I think his translation of it. Dante had a pretty clever thing. He goes, "What your consciousness does during the." during the time of the, of your recognized portion of what you could call your life predicates what happens to you what happens to your consciousness post-life even though he said well it happened in a place called hell so if you're a dumbass in this life chances are it, it <laughs> i i don't think i i don't think good tasting apples become bad tasting apples not even over, not even as affected over time. I think if you have a tree with bad apples, sorry with the Nazis, bad apples. You have a tree with bad apples. Those apples will always be bad. They'll just be different types of bad. So you know when when when. When I, I, I'm sitting, as I was last night, and I have to tell you, I have to tell you, I, uh, <laughs> I went and watched the fight last night at the Condor, uh, a noted San Francisco strip club, because we had a party to go to nearby in San Francisco, and it was closest to the party. And it was just easy to go there. We know the doorman. So we get in. Don't charge us. All right. It's all right. It's all right. The doorman that we knew wasn't there, but it's all right. And then they kind of come around and they put the touch on you for the for the ticket. I don't mind paying 10 bucks. Fine. That's fine to see the UFC 222. 10 bucks. So see UFC 222. And uh, and then they said the woman comes up and says, You want a drink? And the wife orders like a Roman Coke or something. And uh, I said, shit, shit. She's not getting me. I only think I was fell off the truck. 
I'll just have some water. Those of you who follow me on Twitter realized she moved Bishop to Queen Queen's Rook Eight or something. Brings me Fiji plastic bottle. First of all, I don't drink water out of plastic bottles. Secondly, I'm certainly not drinking the most expensive fucking bottle water there is. It's like, are you seven dollar bottle of fucking water? Are you kidding? Are you fucking kidding? Not even a glass. No, nah, no, nah, I don't want that. But then I realized. Screw and chew. Or it's chew and screw. A dine and a ditch. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta be fucking kidding my pay for that. But in any case, UFC 222. And I have to tell you, if we base these fights on how we feel post facto, generally does this does the um you know does does the delivery does the delivery mechanism by what by which we glimpse elements of the eternal like plato said you know you see a painting that's beautiful why is it it because it echoes platonic ideals of truth beauty goodness we like fighting because of, it, it it echoes eternal ideas however however we are stymied in our efforts to to view you know our archetypical our archetypical kind of rises to power by the shit that surrounds this sport. First of all, I love Bellator, but there's nothing that happened. There's nothing that happened uh, uh, on Bellator on Friday night that was worth a good goddamn. You know it, and I know it. So let's not play games. Let's not play games with each other and say like we're going to be excited because we're not really. All right, but UFC, you, uh, the UFC. I think coming out of this fight, some of us felt pretty good, and I'm just based on I'm just basing that on um, I'm just basing that on on some of the tweets I got from those of you who who are sending me tweets, and just assume as we were in in the glow of the 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 consumed drug called UFC 222, just as soon as that happened, something else happened. And somebody starts sending, uh, uh, um, somebody starts sending pictures, tweeting out pictures cage side of the bald one watching the boxing match or teasing Wilder. You know, I, I, I once knew, uh, I, I once, let me have, see how I can put this, uh, this story that's not exactly fit for prime time. Uh, let's see. Uh, you know, people have been making videos of themselves having sex forever. So I knew this woman who made a video, oh God, my neck is broken, of herself uh, having, uh, you know, in, embracing life's wild side. She wanted to have a kind of a group sex encounter and she filmed it. And uh, she had a, a, a movie made of it, which she kept. And I remember thinking at a certain point that it might be six weeks, it might be six months, might be six years, but eventually her doting husband would actually find it. And sure enough, about 16 months later, I get the panicked call that the husband has found this DVD. 
which is something that was now a DVD. Initially, it had been filmed like that. So, it was tragedy all around. I, I didn't bring it up to talk. When I see the bald one, cage side at the UFC 222, and I see him watching a boxing match, it made me feel like it made you feel. Like that guy must have felt when he watched his wife on the DVD. Can't unsee it. The guy who's a CEO, whose job it is to drive this bus straight, doesn't give a fuck about the bus. This be You got guys in there risking life and limb. Talk about an absent father. The whole Western culture is, if you see every movie, it's John Ford's The Searchers. Every movie that uses that as a fundamental template, The Search of the Lost and Absent Father. 2,000 years of Judeo-Christian thought is precisely that. Jesus left us. God no longer talks to us. Our fathers are inadequate substitutes. You don't hear about Joseph much after, you know, after Bethlehem, do you? Not even at the crucifixion. Where's Joseph then? Our fathers are lost. We are lost. Lost, lost, lost. So let's do something different. At this point now, I think we can safely assume, like those of us who do have bad fathers, that they are non-factors. The bald one is a non-factor. For those of you who don't know the terminology, bald one is a name I've given to the CEO of the UFC, who in his uh, uh, futile uh, hunt for fame, I'm sure Googles every mention of his name because the more they talk about him, the happier he is, much like Tinkerbell. Tinkerbell needs your applause to live, so applaud, people, applaud. Won't do it. I'm not mentioning his name because I'm afraid. I'm not mentioning his name because (laughs) the guy is largely insignificant, and even more so now. Because I guarantee you, I guarantee you, 10 years ago, five years ago, if one of his employees had been caught doing what he just did, they would have been fired. If Joe Silva cared enough to come over to my cage side seat and ask me to remove my shirt that had a URL on it, they would care about somebody sitting cage side watching the freaking fight. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. So, um, so he is a non-factor. He, he, oh man, my shoulders are on fire. He is a non-factor. So we're not going to talk about him. We're not going to talk about him like he's a factor. We're not going to get depressed about it. We're going to move ahead and we're going to be happy with what we have or not happy with what we have as the case may be. But to, to expect, to expect things to be different when they've never been different is 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 a fool's errand yes i know look i i got you people are texting me now during the show about how depressing narolovsky true fight is and and i i know but first of all we need to separate the bald one his lack of concern or care and the, the the manner in which the show is listing from what we actually saw in the cage. We gotta separate those, separate them out. 
separate them out to make sense. Ah, uh, the phone is about to freaking die. How do you like that? I need it. I, I think I'm gonna have to move a bit to plug it in. Can you can can you bear with me? It's like two feet from me, but I can't I can't reach it without moving. Uh um, Oh, there we go. There's some some help. Could, yes, there you could you plug it plug it in right there? Yeah, right there. Thank you. And then put it close enough so then after a few minutes, yeah, yeah. You can just put on the cat scratcher. <laughs> High tech, baby. High tech. All right, thank you very much. So um so he, he's a non-factor, but um I'm gonna go back to gonna go back to the fights and how they made us feel. They made us feel pretty good. Let's go back to the head. We're just gonna go backward in time because there were a lot of don't cares. I cared about three fights on this card. And I was justified in, in feeling that, with the exception of O'Malley. Um, and that, some guy texted me. He was like, yeah, I told you about O'Malley. And then he goes, ah, I texted too soon. That's what we call hubris. And I got fucked. No, I'm not going to take that away from O'Malley. Let's go to uh, Cyborg and Valenzuela, the Russian chick. That was a great fight. That was a great fight because every time you fight, you, you open a door. We've been through this. You open a door into, into – um, into in, into your wheelhouse. The less of a door you have to open, in other words, the more you can keep winning doing the same thing a la Ronda Rousey, the better off you're going to be because people don't know. People didn't figure out till the end that Ronda couldn't punch for shit because she had been so effective with the hip throw and the submission. Hip throw, submission. Hip throw. It's knocking anybody out. You can thank her fucking her shit coach for that. So how much how much of a door has has Chris Cyborg opened up into her wheels? Not much. So uh, 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 the Russian chick, she decides I'm gonna go in deep, 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 deep. I'm gonna wrestle mugger. I'm gonna pressure against the stage, against against the cage, take her down, and I'm not gonna put myself. I'm not gonna stand in the target zone for these fucking fists and these feet. They're both supposed to be black belts in some kind of ground grappling game, so they went at it, and she she pushed the action. But you got to understand, if you're if we are equal on the ground, that means I could spend half my time getting away, putting you in bombing range. And I knew that was going to happen because all the stuff in the lead up and the Invicta fights they were showing, Volaskaya uh, and her stand up was not shit. But it just wasn't, it's not the same. You're not hurting anybody with those pillows. But there was always a possibility. Like I raised on, la on last week's uh, uh, Care Don't Care preview, there's a possibility that this was a Buster Douglas thing. Anytime the odds are that crazily long, you got to know somebody's got to get to somebody, and then you got yourself a kind of night to remember and a lot of rich people. I didn't think this would happen. Seeing Tito in her corner made me nervous. I didn't know what was going to happen after that. But, you know, when you have a 13-year winning streak, you know, the amount of financial inducement that somebody can lay out for you, it's just not worth it. Better a 15-year, 16, maybe a 20-year solid win streak. Now, that's something you could bank on. And after that, you can start making incautious moves like fighting Conor McNuggets or whatever. Or walking into a cage just so you can see the Twitter universe look at your ass. 
It's all it's all baboon shit, man. Look at my red ass. I got a red ass. Look how look how red my ass is now, man. How many fans do I have on here? 1.2 mil. I've got the biggest red ass there is. Okay. So it all in all, it was she smoth, she smothered cyborg. Cyborg uh gets some distance and uh and pummeled up pummeled up. It was satisfying. It was a satisfying dessert topping. Dessert topping to 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 uh, the Ortega Ortega uh, the former headlining uh, fight, which was Holloway against Frankie Edgar, which ended up being Brian Ortega. Brian Ortega has played it exactly right. If Sean Shelby, also known as Keith, were to be given credit for something, he, it was the anti Sukaju. You built this guy has has built up a steady record of accomplishment on the periphery of your understanding, and then he emerges like, oh shit, it's that guy. The only other guy who had a similar kind of ramp up in my mind was a Chuck Liddell, where he was just always on the periphery and he had big fights that you assumed he was going to lose, and he kept winning it. And then finally, after like ten or eleven. You go, oh, this is a guy to watch. And, of course, Frank Yeager thinks, yeah, I'll fight this cat because, you know, I get my wrestling is good enough both to take him down and to stay out of his his chop-saki jiu-jitsu snares without realizing that at least half of those clips they showed in the preview package had him flying knees and punches. The uppercut that lifted Frank Yeager off his feet and put him down like a dead man, that wasn't nearly as impressive as that fucking elbow. Now, you got to know, you can tell when Johnny Boney Joni is about to do that elbow thing. When he gets in close and he's here and he's not using it, and then he, he leans in. And at this point now, you can time it. It's expected. If you're fighting Johnny Boney Joni, DC, their last fight, actually seemed to be prepared for it and account for it. But Brian Ortega had a variation of it that was completely different. He kind of came with the punch. Letting let came with the punch purposely, sort of like whiffed it, giving Edgar the chance to move back. Like ah ha ha, it was like a spinning back fist in, in that it, it it was predicated on a surprise attack. So I'm going in for this, and that, but it's not that boom, and that's what finished it. He was discombobulated. Well, I don't know, I can't remember whether it was two 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 twenty one in. I don't remember, but he wasn't bouncing back from that. And a couple of things happened. Everybody got sad. Got sad because we're seeing Frankie Edgar get to a place that, you know, he's been, Frankie Edgar had a a wonderful place to be, which was apex level gatekeeper. When you're an apex level gatekeeper, you are always, you always smell what's cooking in the kitchen. You're that close to the kitchen. You're smelling it. You may pick stuff off of the trays going in and out. But you know, before anything goes in or out of that kitchen, they got to talk to you about it. And you're never very far, an injury or anything very far away from actually being able to make that sign of I got the belt without being mocked or ridiculed. But now this is the real sad and weepy portion of our tale. When it doesn't seem like 
Frankie Edgar will bounce back. It feels like a passing of the guard, which makes us sad. And come, but, you know, Brian Ortega, like Bukowski used to say, I've seen more dogs with style than men with style. I've seen more more style from Brian Ortega than I've seen in half a dozen other fighters. And I'd like to see I, I, his whole shtick. I love the whole shtick. I love it. And in a lot of ways, it's a, it's, a, it's, a gyre, it's a gyre revolution from the Gracies and uh, it, it, with Henner in his corner. It's solid jujitsu, but done something that the Gracies have never managed to bring to bear with some really solid striking. And the guy is undefeated. And the guy, you just, you just don't know. I've seen this guy fight almost all of his fights, and I can't honestly tell you. In other words, he's opened the door to let me look in 10 times, and I can't honestly tell you what kind of game plan I would best would best be suited to beating this guy. And so now they're talking about him fighting Holloway, and I think Holloway's head is in the same place our heads are. Holloway's head is in this place of like, the fuck, what do I, what kind of key do I use for this lock? And I need to figure that shit out before that gate closes behind me. Otherwise, I'm going to end up passing this belt to the guy, and I don't want to do that. Does he have shitty, I heard Joe, I mean, keep me in the strip club, we couldn't, man, they were playing like shitty fucking techno, and the guy on the mic was, let's break it up here, let's break it up for candy. And he's like, hey, man, shut the fuck up, I'm trying to listen to the fight. Women are sitting down at the table. Hey, you two want to go into the private room? Are you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking okay? You got to do it. It's a job. It's like you know the guy at the gas station has to say what you want. You know crackers, unleaded or whatever. You got to do it. But come on, at least give me give me some headset so I can listen to the fight. But it was only ten bucks, so let's not complain. And purloined water. So um, so in any case. The high point, if you don't know it, you don't know it. But the thing that made you feel good coming out of it, the kick that was was Brian Ortega, because we're sad about Frankie Edgar, but timing-wise, it's okay. We're sad, but it's okay. And the and the phone is out. It, 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 uh, I guess the plug is on, so I I can't I can't tell you. It, it, nah, it just it didn't work. I can't I, fuck it. So, um, I, that means I have to go from memory. <laughs> oh, that's no good. <laughs> um, so, uh, so Ortega made us feel good. I have to say honestly, honestly. I have to say that a, I'm trying to get a, another page up right now. Have no fear. I have to say honestly that that um, Shruve and Arlovsky, despite the, what is it, the how taste my pee-pee that Arlovsky has gotten a lot of mileage out of, outside of that, oh, man, I, that fight made me feel really sad. You know what that was? That was a training fight, by which I mean – you know, you go to the gym and you, you, I know you pull into the gym. Or if it's a new gym, you pull in, you get your bag on your shoulder, you're walking, trying to figure out where the locker room is. And you're checking out the action. You're looking around and you see some guys go at it. And they're big and they're kind of scary. And it seems like they know what they're doing. But then it gets to the end and, and, and what? 
What? What? What? What? What? What? Oh, the bald one says that he's going to make Holloway versus Ortega immediately once featherweight champ is cleared. What he really means is he's going to do something about something once his boxing match is over because that's really where his attention is. Fucking prick. Prick piece of shit. It, I, I can't tell you how much it makes me angry. I can't tell you how much it makes me angry. I, 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 and I'm not even going to try. So, so Struve and, and, and Orlovsky, that was some sad ass shit. Made me sad. Didn't like it. Orlovsky has been fighting, fighting afraid for a long time. I mean, at least Yana Kunitskaya, when she came in there, she fought like somebody who wanted to not go home empty handed. That was nice. Frank Yeager, fucking 444 to the first round, that was nice. So if it had just stopped with those two, but in aggregate, and in fact, I'd have been okay with everything because the O'Malley Sukamakakata fight was great. Though I have to say, Sukamakata's fight IQ is fucking stupid as shit. Because as soon as I see O'Malley hopping around on that on that broken leg, I back up and make him walk toward me. And when he can't and they call the fight three seconds from the end, I win it. And instead, I lose it to a guy who can't walk out of the cage. But O'Malley, O'Malley has got something Johnny Boney Joni-esque about him. And so you between O'Malley, he kind of who's that other cat that uh with the the L name? Oh my God! One letter from the alphabet, and I think you're going to be able to give me some help. Who is who's maybe they're all direct descendants of kind of uh, a cross between Johnny Boney Joni and uh... <laughs> sorry man, I can't. I got this whole grandkid thing in my head and the names. Uh, the Japanese cat with the really gnarled ears. Uh, oh God, who's been fighting forever? It'll come to me. But you see that they've got the touch of the artist about them. So O'Malley, in my mind, went from a big don't care to a big care. Not so much for Sukumar, who's got the fight IQ of uh, of, a, of a bedroom slipper. Sorry to be uh, uh, unpleasant about it, but the guy came in with a lot of hoo-ha. I wanted to see that hoo-ha borne out. Olovsky and Struve, shit. Uh, Zingano, man, that was rough. She came into the fight favored and left. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really want to talk about it because I don't think that that was she was she lost, uh, just was smothered by, uh, you know, Brazilian grappler. But she lost in a way that like I was seeing stuff in her defeat that I don't want to see in the same way that I see things in, in victory that that, that that justifies and creates a situation. I don't want to see that stuff in defeat. I don't want to see it. Don't want to see it. Don't want to see it. Sorry. Which means in my mind that her head is not in the right place where it needs to be. Like uh, Sorrell says, he don't outside don't fucking care. He wants you to go home and think about your life. She really needs to start thinking about secondary careers or, or other 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 sports beckoning because this is not the place for you. It's not. It's not.
You, you have your ego has to be in a place where you know you can just okay. And remember what we, that thing last week we were talking about, where I said forgiveness is like honor. It's one of these amorphous things that makes people do stupid shit. Shabonia, Brendan Shabonia, Bonian, uh, tried to apologize to, to Eve Edward and then made it worse by doubling back by talking about his emotionalism. The only way it could have been worse is if, if, if he had talked about Karen Bryant's emotionalism, which falls back on the trope of women being too emotional. You should just stop fucking talking, you semi-fucking untalented piece of shit. Just stop talking. You've been given a silver spoon and a leg up. You were the Chuck Norris of fucking MMA. A guy with zero charisma because he has managed to charm a few guys has been given a leg up where you don't deserve one. Being can I'm candid doesn't guarantee you a rocket ride to the top. Shut the fuck up. You're a friend. Friends don't do that. Don't shake anybody's hustle. I feel bad saying Jimmy Smith sucks, except for the fact that Jimmy Smith sucks. And Jimmy Smith is not a so-called friend of mine. He's a total stranger to me. Mackenzie Dern. People were upset that I didn't care about Mackenzie Dern. Um, I didn't care about Mackenzie Dern because I didn't care about Ashley Yoder. You got to understand that's how the care don't care don't preview works. I did my 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 one of my scratch picks. I had I always go with the friend of knuckle up. Benel Dariush got knocked the fuck out his first in the first round, forty two seconds in. Uh, I don't I, I I'm tending to think dude's not gonna. I'm gonna have to recuse myself from now on. I don't think he's bouncing back from that, despite the the nice wonderful piece I read on him. I didn't care about Dodson and Munoz, but Dodson surprised me because why? He's a gift. That's why. A guy I can't trust. C.B. Dalloway and Hector Lombard, uh, 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 that was a, you know, that's Hector Lombard is officially done. Lost the fight with the DQ, punching after the belt, whatever. Mike Pyle, his retirement fight, he lost. I didn't care about the fight, and I said he would lose. Brian Caraway, I didn't care about the fight, but I also said he would lose. I'll give a shit. That guy's in the misty as fuck land right from the top. Jordan Johnson and Adam Milstead didn't care about. And there you go. UFC 222 over and done. Let's go back to watching boxing with the bold one. How reckless can you get? How reckless can you get? I'm not talking about our feelings. I'm talking about a $4.2 billion enterprise that you're sitting on top of that you're systematically running into the fucking ground for reasons that are occult to me because even if it goes belly up, you are still rich. So don't give a shit. You're, you're a business equivalent of Connor McNuggets, who I'd have to say that I honestly believe gives more of a shit. You know how sad it is to see these promos with him in the video games looking imperiously out with the tattoo of the ape on his chest or whatever the tiger or whatever the fuck that is? Dude hasn't fought since 2016. I've done better than that. I've gotten into a street scuffle since 2016. (laughs) And it was in Belgium. I knocked the guy off his feet with an open hand slap. I didn't didn't see that coming. He was like Charlie Brown and Lucy on the mound. Did not see that coming. And then everybody attacked me afterward. They thought that that was an improper way. I told one woman, what if I come to a party at your house and as I'm dancing on your kitchen table, I start pissing in your potted plants. She goes, well, I would ask you to stop. <laughs> Does a guy who dances on a table while pissing in your potted plants seem likely that he's going to ask, be amenable to being asked to stop? Don't give me that shit. 
It's like Hitler with the, that Swiss village where they were encouraging other soldiers not to fight. Any soldier came there, you could get fixed up, you could stay as long as you want and not return to the battlefront. Schomburg uh, uh, or something like that. And I think he Hitler wrote them a nice letter. Goes, thank you for taking care of our soldiers, but more importantly, thank you for encouraging the other side not to fight. There is a force in this world, a will to power in this world. It's cycling around, where where in an effort to to usurp placement to get ahead, will trample all behind. And that is precisely the least likely piece of fruit that you want from a very shitty tree. That's the show. There's a lot of stuff to unwind, a lot of stuff to pack in. Once again, my kid has not come up with a name for my kid's kid's name. So I don't know what my grandson is called, but uh, I imagine that I'm smoking a cigar. And keep in mind, my mother sits up against her and she goes, you know, he's going to grow up very much like you. I go, how's that? He's surrounded by aunts and aunts and aunts and and grandmothers and grandmothers and 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 great grandmothers and great grandmas surrounded by in female cousins surrounded by an ocean of women the sole male <laughs> i told it to the guys at jiu-jitsu and they all kind of go like this Because what happens when you're a guy like that, you're bilingual. <laughs> and I know I'm bilingual when I get into a group of people and there's one other guy there and largely, majorly a bunch of women. And I can see that this other guy doesn't speak woman. And he doesn't know it. He doesn't know how far afield he is. He can't see it. He can't even, he doesn't have the ear to even hear it. And he's talking about something, just rambling on and talking on. And the women are quietly like looking at each other and they're having the, and I know exactly what they're fucking thinking. And it's like, man, can't even see it, right? You can't even hear it. And this is typically a guy who's grown up with all brothers. <laughs> You're at a disadvantage. If, if a woman has never said to you, my God, you're such a good listener. <laughs> You've been talking too much. <laughs> so anyway, speaking of talking too much, I'm going to ring off right now. I'm going to plug the phone in. And the, those of you can go back to the Oscars for a little bit. In about 10 minutes, we're going to come back on this channel with You Kill Me. Kasha and Eugene's uh, 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 film reviews for Reprobates. The film on deck is a phantom thread. I don't, the phone is dead. I don't know whether they won or they didn't win. Don't know. Doesn't make a difference. That's the film that we're reviewing. And then after this week, because we wanted to time it with the Oscars, we're going to expand and we'll talk about whatever fucking films we feel like talking about. But in about 10 minutes on this channel, if you're subscribed to this channel, it'll send you a notification for when we're ready. But I got to get up. I got to get up V8 and then I got to do some other stuff to get, get You Kill Me ready. So uh, uh, a bit, you know, subscribe now. That way you get to know. So if it's 15 minutes and 10 minutes to the 10 minutes, you still know and you get to listen to it. And it'll be shorter than this show because, uh, well, I don't know. She might have a lot to say. We've gotten requests personally to me to talk less and have her talk more. And she just finished. I know she just finished watching it. So she's prepared to do that. So anyway, we're going to ring off. We'll see you on Tuesday night at 720. Tuesday night is the wife's birthday, but we're going to do the show, and then we're going to go out and get drunk and have a great time. 
Um, so a uh, 7.20, we got If I Did It, followed immediately by uh, If the Shoe Fits, there'll be short shows because uh, we got stuff to do. And um, and then on Wednesday or Thursday, if there's a show fight next weekend, we'll do uh, the, the Care Don't Care preview. If you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at Eugene S. Robinson. Uh, like I said, Instagram, it's Mr. Sleep 3. Facebook is too clogged up, uh, but there is a Eugene S. Robinson Showstopper page on Facebook. But if you'll enjoy this show, even though some of you can hear it on SoundCloud and some of you can hear it on iTunes, on iTunes, leave a review for it because they want you to do that. On YouTube, click the up finger, the up thumb. You see the up thumb? Because this shit matters somehow to the algorithm. I don't know how. Everybody tells me to say it, so I'm saying it to you because I don't know because I'm a grandfather. And I got the eye. Now, the eye is fine, but I just, you know. Um, so a, uh, the shoulder wasn't, I went to the doctor. They gave me a bunch of injections for whooping cough and Tdap. And now they're going to test me for MMR, did a blood workup. T-cell kept my, my white blood cell count is low, so my body's not affected. But this was staph here, and they gave me a bunch of ointment and stuff. So uh, I, I was worried they're going to amputate my arm. It doesn't seem like that's happening now. So uh, um, what did I say? Give, give us a thumbs up. Uh, you get other shows, give us uh, uh, on iTunes, give us a review, uh, and uh, patreon.com slash the stomper is how this is actually paid for. And I got to pay for web space, I got to pay for that kind of stuff. Or if you just appreciate it, a dollar fifty cents, I am not too proud. I'm still the guy who picks up pennies and dimes and nickels from the sidewalk. So if you want to leave a dollar because you dug the show, please do so. But anyway, give us about 15 minutes and we'll be back uh, with the You Kill Me, the film review show. Until then, look what you made me do!